Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, beauty, travel, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. Only you know what your body needs. Let this be the reminder that you have the power to tap in and know the food, self-care, and spiritual practices that will best serve you. I will be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can feel your best and live your dreams. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I am your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Food. And I'm so excited for today's episode because this is a topic that I will never be able to get enough of. Talking about fish, learning about how we purchase fish, how we choose fish when we're at a restaurant, how we can prepare it at home. This is a topic that I feel like I will never get enough of learning. There's always more to expand on. And today I am chatting with Chef Colin and Chef Cody, a fish restaurant in Culver City, California. I've had the pleasure of getting to be their sous chef at a dinner at the Ecology Center in San Juan Capistrano. I'm gonna be back in the outdoor kitchen with them in a few weeks. And they did an incredible job of communicating to the guests at one of the dinners that I cooked with them at about where their fish came from, how they prepared it, why they chose that fish. And I wanted to share that conversation with you guys, because I I know if you're tuning into this podcast, you want to keep learning about where your food comes from as well. You want to be a more educated and inspired consumer. Um, and you want to be able to recreate things in your own kitchen and make better choices when you're out at a restaurant. So I thought, who better to chat with about this? Chef Colin is a sushi chef, a surfer, and an artist with a passion for the ocean. He has operated an ethically sourced, sustainable sushi business for over 15 years, catering to high-profile clients, including Dr. Phil, Jessica Alba, and Magic Johnson. And Chef Cody is also a passionate chef and experienced surfer with over three decades of culinary expertise. His love for sushi ignited in the mid-80s and since Since then, he has honed his skills through various apprenticeships and prestigious positions, excelling in fast-paced, high-volume environments. Their focus together on locally sourced fish and dry aging techniques sets their sushi apart and reflects on their dedication to responsible and sustainable seafood practices. They are co-owners of Fish in Culver City, and together they create an exceptional culinary experience that showcases their expertise and dedication to environmental responsibility. So you guys are going to love this conversation. We go so many places to help you better understand how to purchase your seafood, the questions to ask, the labels to look for, what to do when you're at a restaurant, types of fish you should be looking for, what are the alternatives to the salmon and halibut always being on the menu, and just some fun experiences that they have had catering incredible Hollywood Los Angeles party. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into this episode. Enjoy. Welcome back to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff. And today I am with two fellow chefs, 
Colin and Cody of Fish Restaurant in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, I'll, I'll wind you guys back up to where we just were chatting about fish, like I mentioned <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> You guys, you guys are really experts. You guys don't just have a fish restaurant, but you guys are chefs. You love cooking. You love the ocean. Um, you have a deep connection to surfing in the ocean. And obviously, if you're going to eat or prepare food, you want to cook with the best quality ingredients for yourself and for your clientele. Um, and so what I want to learn today is how to be a better consumer. And I want to learn how to better choose fish for myself and for my clients. So let's just get into it and we'll let it flow where it flows. All right. So when you, like, I'll ask you a question. When you go to a restaurant, like what are you selecting as, as just a, a, a person that just, what's your fish go-to fish of choice? I don't have a fish I prefer. I want the best quality fish that they have back there. I don't want them pulling okay. out a filet, defrosting it and pan searing it in canola Perfect. oil and serving to me. I okay. am open-minded. Okay. I want okay. something that is, is real. Um, <laughs> right, quality, right. It doesn't have to be a name brand fish. I think there's more fish in the sea than okay. we'll ever know. So okay. I'm probably a little bit different. I don't care if there's bones. I don't care if there's skin. Right. You know? right. Okay. So you're the, you're in the, yeah, you're not in the pedestrian thing. Well, I would say this. Depending on the person and what they want to eat, like what they want to prepare that that evening, um, one think about where it's coming from, like that that particular fish. Think about what what season it is. Think about if it's going to be fresh or, or frozen, and that's your first question of how you want to have that fish. Um, as far as like for the the normal consumer, just in America, depending on where you live, that's really you, you have the you got that luck. But if you're in the middle of, of America, it's really tough because there's just by default, not the best options as it is, as it is as beef and produce. So it's your, the, the odds against you are already kind of stacked. That's, that's the hard part for fish game. Um, it's going to be probably frozen and you probably want it frozen mm -hmm. because most places like the butcher, the fishmonger, that's kind of been, those don't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, like your, your meat butcher does. So that's, it's a really hard question for, for most people because there aren't really the best options, but I would say this, if someone's got the buying power that could buy a lot in mass quantities, they're, they're probably going to get something that's well, relatively decent and accessible to, to taste like fish and not be some, like what you're saying, like fake fish. It's really tough. That that and that is the question that's already hard for people to get right now. Like I was, we were talking about earlier, fish is still the wild west. It's just been in its own little world, whereas beef and produce are just so much more on the forefront. Um, and there's more money in it for the retailer. That's that's the bottom line. It's really hard for retailers to make money with fish. Interesting. So, do the distributors of fish make more money selling to restaurants than to grocery stores? There's two different worlds. You, you've got you've got restaurant consumption, and you've mm -hmm. got personal use. And so, for personal use too, there are several companies out there that can deliver sustainable packaging with sustainable fish. Cody can like tell you a couple of them. You know, the packaging's beautiful. It's fully traceable. And as a home consumer, but it's wildly expensive. You would look at this protein yeah. and you'd be like, wow, I don't know if I want to spend this much money, but you can get a box and get that delivered. Now, if you're dealing with a restaurant, they have a better distribution network, especially if you're by a major city and stuff like that. You know, yeah. Stuff that goes into yeah. Vegas or Denver is just as good as the stuff that's landing into LA and stuff like that. So if you go to a reputable restaurant that you know is carrying quality fish, that has a great menu, that's probably not been frozen anywhere in the chain and it's been prepared correctly, you're going to have most likely a really good experience with that. We're lucky now we're in an information age that you can dissect anything that's going on and, and, and find what's the end of the road, you know, I, I believe. What's also really cool too is a lot of menus now, especially like with ours, we're putting our sources on there. We like to be completely transparent. And we're not trying to throw these words around too. And, and Cody will back me up on this. Sustainable is a word. It's just slapped onto things nowadays. And it's ridiculous. That North American uh, Seafood Expo, 
I'm walking around, you know, and there's like, I was on every single booth, Starkist Tuna. And I'm like, you guys are really claiming, you guys are like a mega corporation using trawler fleets, you know, like net bike kits. Like, what? come please, where's your rep? Let's talk. Why is this sustainable? One more thing I wanted to add with this too, I think why fish isn't as popular, let's say in the middle of the country, just for America, um, is we have like fish trauma. And like you said, Whitney, uh, a person gets, a, I think, a tilapia, and the chef took it and defrosted it, and it sat in, in you know, fish water for two days. And the fish, the chef takes it out and then cooks it, and it tastes even fishier. It probably tastes even worse than it would have been, you know, any other way. People eat that as their first experience with fish, and they're like, I don't want to ever do this again. I don't blame them. That's what I call fish trauma. And, and that's what the fish industry in America suffers from on a consumer standpoint where people can't change their opinions about that because they've been traumatized going, no, this tastes horrible. It tastes like something has been rotting underneath a rock. Cody and myself are embracing different philosophies with the fish, buying local sourced, buying from sustainable farms, dry aging the fish and clean it correctly. And then once it's broken down, we're taking our fillets, we're drying those fillets out even more. And that's the big tip I gave all these people that I talked to in town or clients and customers. I'm like, take your fillets out and put them between paper towels and change those paper towels if you want to keep it for a day or two. That dry, cold essence is yeah. the ultimate secret with fish, hands down. If you have a dry, cold product and then you prepare that and reintroduce it to heat and you know temperature, it's going to come out amazing. And that's what fish protein should be. It's something incredible like that. So explain to me how do I do that? So I pull out my fillet, I take a, a plate, I put down paper towels, put the fillet down, put down paper towels on top of that. And, and then wrap it, wrap it, yeah, wrap it in plastic. That paper towel morning and night. And how many days should I leave it in the fridge? You honestly, I mean, we've done experiments that would blow your mind, but I mean, you, if it is a, if it is a fresh fish for real, you can keep something on paper towels for five or six days. And I know, and I'm not telling people, frozen yeah. fish is really tough. The molecular structure of fish changes a lot once it's frozen. It's not the same product that it was before. And Cody and I, I wouldn't say we're anti-frozen fish guys, but with what we do with suits and stuff like that, we love fresh, prepared, dry, cold. And we know how to control that whole thing. It's its its, its own work of art, you know? So if I'm going to the grocery store, does it ma even matter? Like if I'm going to Whole Foods, does it even matter if I go over and look at the fresh fish since most, most of it's frozen defrosted or do I just go straight for the frozen or do I need to start going someplace else? It, it, that, that depends. Like, Listen, no. but, but Whole Foods carries Oraking and, and that, that's like probably the top of the level of salmon. We can segue into the salmon conversation next if you want. But, you know, if you look at the sourcing for Whole Foods and you look itemized down, they have a lot of incredible products. They're very traceable as well. They are starting to open up that conversation for the future. We are spoiled because we live by the coast. And if I wanted to go down to Catalina Offshore and go to their market right now, I can get the world's bounty. If I want to go to Santa Monica Seafoods and go into their retail markets, we're just, we're lucky. We have amazing produce in California. We have amazing fish. We we have a chef's paradise here. Yeah. So for this conversation, saying somebody from Texas or Oklahoma or Kansas, it's a whole other world. And they don't have the exposure or even the palate to like maybe want those kind of seafoods. That's changing though. And as we go forward and we look at health too, Whitney, like we were talking about earlier, fish is going to become a huge part of American diets, whether they like it or not. People are having all these health issues and fish is a really good segue to have clean proteins. And the companies that Cody and I work with, such as Pacifico Aquacultures or uh, Omega Azul, they have some of the most incredible uh, protein rays that you can even possibly buy. That leads us to something we've been chatting about is when people get that news from their doctor or they're finally made the decision that they want to eat more healthy or health supportive, they start to look at fish and they think, I need to eat salmon. That's the first fish they think they have to start eating, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Pop, it's popular. It's the rock star. It's, it's, the kids love it. The kids love Whitney. It's a Which thing. is so funny because there was a time where it was the cheapest fish and it was sure. the least popular. Well, um, so was yeah. lobster. Lobster was fed to the prisons before it became in vogue. I know. Um, 
abalone was on the menu abalone at, too. Area at San Diego State University when my dad was in college. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. spoils right there. I love that. Can you believe? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so this, the salmon conversation is, um, is a really interesting one. There's some really good salmon and there's some really bad salmon. And then, I mean, there's almost three elements. You have good salmon, you have bad salmon, and then you have your wild salmons. Um, I'll let Cody kind of take over the bad stuff right now. And I guess that kind of goes. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I guess that kind of goes into the Scottish farms. Yeah. I like to t- I like to talk about the the two farms that we love using, or the three. You know, like there's only a handful that we really, really trust that do quality product. Um, and we were talking too about that thing that Costco just came out where there's worms crawling around in their salmon at Costco. And Cody, I was telling Whitney about the North American Seafood Expo and the Costco reps are coming through the booth. Like if you sell salmon to Costco, that's payday. Like you, you're retiring. Oh, like you're- Oh yeah. Because again, <laughs> Costco's got that buying power. Um, but with salmon, so, so when you like, so salmon's a very easy fish to farm. They're very mm-hmm. resilient. They'll eat anything. They're, and, and two, their, their growth rate's great. They're just a really smart fish to grow as a protein. Yeah. Um, just like there's really good beef farms and there's good tomato farms and strawberry farms, there's really bad farms. And if you're in the commodity business where it's more about selling and making a bottom line and making a lot of money for little overhead, salmon's your way to go, tilapia is good. There's more money in salmon or else everyone would be growing tilapia, right? Tilapia just bigger, doesn't bigger have that yield, thing. Bigger yield with right, salmon. Right, bigger, bigger yield, bigger uh, rewards. Bigger and bigger and it's, just, it's just a staple on menu. So why not get in the salmon game? You can raise that stuff anywhere. So the good farms, uh, really good control as far as their kill methods, as far as the environmental methods, as far as the feed, and as far as just overall general health of, of um, they're making Ferraris of the sea. You know, they're putting the best stuff into it. They're more about the quality versus quantity. And then there's the exact opposite where they're just, the pen densities, they're living on top of each other. There's heavy antibiotics. Um, you know, there's terrestrial proteins. They're eating like a pellet with like chicken feed and mm-hmm. they're taking waste from chicken farms and they're turning it into like a, a meal and they're just feeding the shit out of those. They're putting coloring in it to get the, the color back because the way that thing would come out looking standard wise would be a really like not the best, I'm looking for one right now, but uh, something that's just not visually that great. So there's, you know, there's tricks to be done to, to get it to where, you're selling it all over the world and, and you're getting, you know, it, that's a, a business that it doesn't, to me, ethically, it doesn't make sense, but I could see why people would do it. It's you're also, raising protein, just not the best Cody, quality protein. Cody too. Also, um, this is a good thing for you to like embellish on when you're talking about sustainable fish farming, the genetics of the fish are really important. And when you look at yeah. salmon farms, they have a almost bastardized genetics system where it's heavily, heavily inbred. And so you have yeah. these salmons that are not, you know, completely like perfect fish. And to segue that back into like uh, Omega or Pacifico, they have a really strong genetics program that's changing it up a lot. And they're breeding healthy fish. That's the most important part about doing fish farming is having a powerful genetics program that's not inbred. And so these really bad salmon farms they're heavily, heavily inbred. And then if you have like pen escapes, like they do up in uh, Washington or Oregon. Or Canada. Or Canada. Okay. I'm just saying you have hundreds of thousands of inbred kind of retarded fish running around the ocean, spawning and mating with the wild fish and it's destroying the wild genetics. That's crazy. That's crazy, crazy. Imagine a bunch of cows escaping and mating with buffalo and all of a sudden you have this like buffalo cow running (laughs) around the plains. You know, in a term like that's just it's shortcut industry. They're just taking shortcuts to get the best, you know, the best payday. And and it, that's unfortunately that's what ends up on most menus. I think when they're they're going, they're talking to salmon because they're not like as a buyer. Either you're, you're buying for like a hotel, you're buying for a hospital or a large thing. Bottom line is money, right? Mm-hmm. What's that protein cost to put on that plate? And if it's going to be a fish, let's try to get something that one, people are going to eat it. If we're going to buy, we want to make sure it gets off, you know, gets used. So salmon is the the way to go. It's the gateway fish for a lot of people. It's, it's accessible to people. So salmon's a big industry and there's farms, unfortunately, that come and go. 
Um, the ones that are stick around that have the, the higher name, they are tending to use a better quality feed and do all those be- you know best farming practices. One, that'll get them on menus because a lot of these, uh, the high end hotels have like a program where you have to be kind of vetted. You have to be like ASC certified or MSC certified, or uh, you just have to have some kind of certification. And then that chain or group will buy from those like you know those those farms that are doing it that way so there that's the upper tier unfortunately most of of just the industrial ways is i mean the 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 normal average day it's commodity-based salmon farms so that's that's the fact what are the farms i should be buying from if i if i have to buy from a farm what are and who are the ones so here here's just a couple of our favorites and this is also you know, this is, it, it goes into geography almost in a funny way. If you look at like the, the premier salmon farm, in my opinion, Cody's been, we just absolutely love Aura King salmon. This comes from the Marlboro Sounds in the North Island, uh, South Island of New Zealand. It's the very Northern part of the South Island. If you've ever been to New Zealand and seen it, it's undescribably beautiful. It looks like a Norwegian Ford, but it's in New Zealand. The water temperature is really cold. In their brochures, you can go online. This is what we tell all of our clients that are eating our sushi and stuff. We're like, look, we don't care if you believe us or not. Like, we're trying to be transparent. Go online, do the Pepsi challenge, read up to what these people are doing, and decide for yourself. Like, that, you're the, you're the end of the line. You vote with your dollars. So if you look at the Marlboro Sounds and you look that this salmon has been raised in some of the cleanest water in the earth right now, it's been raised from an embryo, transferred from pens out in the ocean, done its life cycle, and then re-brought back in. I mean, it's an incredible process. Yeah. The or yeah. the or king the or king salmon. Once you actually start working with it, it's very hard to work with because it's very soft and be very brittle. But it's the really color, fatty. Really, the, the col- really fatty. The, the color and texture of the salmon, it, there is nothing like it. It is so clean, so beautiful. It is absolutely incredible. I mean, raw cooked whatever you want from it it's amazing we love using um icelandic salmon as well there's two farms that we've been using um from iceland um that were producing amazing salmon um and there's a there's a handful of other ones that are also starting to do that there um norway is another really good place norway can be hit and miss though because cody kind of saying some of them are larger commodity farms but Mm -hmm. yeah they've been around they've been they've been in the game for a long time they kind of wrote the book Yes, Norway did write the salmon. book. Um, the, there's ones the that are, yeah, there's some ones that are, are are holdouts that are doing really good practices. And there's some ones that are like, yeah, we, we can make a little money on this. So let's go this way over here. The funny thing about Norway too, and it's sustainable fishing practices is like, I want to say like 45% of the entire population of Norway works in fishing industry in sustainable fish farming, more or less. Those guys are such experts in it that they're shopping their talents out to other farms around the world to grow different fish products around the world because they know that I was, we were talking with the CEO of Pacifico, I was completely blown away. And Pacifico has, I think two or three different Norwegian fish experts that they hired Pacifico's in Toto Santos, you know, and you're like, and I'm going down the rabbit hole, but I'm like, wait a minute, wait. Uh, yeah, when you get out of high school, you know, you most likely get to work for the oil industry. Yeah, yeah, that's like way left. It's the craziest thing in the world is um, how big of an impact fish farming has in, in Norway. It's a career choice you make to like improve your life. And all of a sudden, these guys are all over the world kind of using their knowledge to help um, build other companies up right now. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. So for those, those are our, our, our key points. We love Iceland. We love Norway. We love New Zealand. Um, the wild salmon, it's hard with wild fish a lot of the times to make sure that the cold chain has been kept correctly or the fish has been processed the right way. Because with the wild, there's a lot of variables that, that are kind of hard to figure out a little bit. With, with sustainable fish farms that have all the certifications that Cody was saying, you have them cataloged, you have them serial numbered, they have temperatures taken when they've been processed or not. All of those things are traceable and they're really important for us. If we had an issue with a product, we could call the company and be like, this was a serial number, what was wrong with it, blah, 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 and they'll get back to you about that. With the wild stuff, it's up in the air. You know what I mean? It, it, it's undiscernible sometimes. And with, with the wild salmon now too, is like there's the heavily inbreeding with them, with a lot of these like pen releases and stuff like that. Years ago, there was like radioactive isotopes that people were worried about that the fish were ingesting from Fukushima. You know what I mean? There's 
you know, uh, agricultural runoff and stuff. It just goes on and on and on. As we're moving forward in the fish future, it's becoming sustainable because it's more controllable. So with the farmed fish, they're getting to test the water and make sure that these fish are actually living, breathing, functioning in cleaner water than sadly what's out there in river streams right now. Crazy. Is that correct? Yeah, it's way more, it's way more regulated. I mean, they, they have to by definition. They have to. They want yeah. to protect their, you know, their, their, that's a big, it's, I mean, farmed fish, farming fish is really expensive. Like it's, it's, it's a dumb thing to go into. I don't even know why people want to farm fish because it's so expensive. There's so many variables you're working with and against mother nature at the same time. So many things can go wrong and nothing you can even plan for. So, you know, I understand when people want to take shortcuts, but there's, you know, there's farms that want to do the right thing. And so they're taking the water samples all the time. They're, they've got a, like I'll say a veterinarian, a vet on, on site. That's always checking the quality, you know, always checking the, the, the genetics, you know, they're always looking at feed, you know, alternatives, something that's more sustainable, something that's more seaweed based now. Um, you know, they're, that's where the industry is going. The, the sad part, and again, I don't even know, we, 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 we should always start this, Colin, is we are not like anti-wild fish. We love wild fish, but there's less control in wild fish. And it's a lot of money that you're spending and you, you don't have any guarantees with wild fish. Whereas mm-hmm. farm fish, if you really, you know, learn that farm and, and like the practices, that farm pretty much will get you you know, your fish on time, right? Whenever you want it year round, if the, if the farm is really good, um, a consistent size and a consistent price. And as chefs, that's so much easier, so much easier to make a, a menu and have that menu to be able to serve with no like, dude, there's no halibut tonight. So sorry. We thought we'd have some, we didn't get it. And you're like, oh shit, it's Friday night. And I've got, you know, you know, I'm going to do 200 covers and I've got I've got none of that special that we ran last night and we, you know, all the servers are ready to, then we don't have it. That's the hard part of working with wild fish. I mean, would I still do it? Of course. But more importantly too, as we are starting to find out moving into like a new climate change future, albacore and tuna were two things that were, I can't say we're not phasing them out because they're really important parts, but Mm-hmm. storms all over for a month straight. They were like, no one's fishing. Oh, yeah. the, the seas are 50 foot. These guys are not going out there. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, it, we can't get it out of the ocean. We can't have it. But we were getting our farm yeah. fish because it's in pens. They're in like different areas that are slightly sheltered. Cody and I always say too, that we're embracing the future of fish with trying to make sustainable fish farms our flagship. We're giving wild fish a break as well. But we're also really receptive to using as much wild stuff as we can get because that's a big part. We love supporting local fishermen. We love supporting that industry. And there's nothing better than being able to use the bounty that's right in front of you here. That is probably and the most talk, important and talking part about it. of sustainability profile. It's like, yeah, this came 50 miles out front. You know what I mean? The tuna was bled perfectly. Yeah. These guys are absolute experts. It was iced. And like, this is the bounty of the ocean we have. San Diego is so lucky here. We have a plentiful supply of bluefin tuna that's wild that we can constantly pull from that we manage really well with the stocks. That's incredible. There's very few places in the world that you can still pull out bluefin tuna right now. And there's a plentiful stock. Everywhere else has been wildly overfished and shipped overseas, et cetera, et cetera. But let's go back to... Like the hard part, like we had a really hard January, Whitney. Mm-hmm. We just no, I and, and and when we were um, nothing at the grocery you know, store, we were, right? <laughs> yeah, when we were talking about putting a menu together, the conversation like, okay, we know we're going to use these guys, these this these farms with this, and then you know, Colin's like, dude, do we use tuna? And do we use? Do you want to use the stuff out of Mexico? Do you want to use? You know, like because at some point it's going to get hard. Tuna was always the hard. It's always the hard one for us. Still is so, it's the most expensive. It still fish. is, four, yeah. It's always four, so time, four times over. It's always the most parasitic of any of the fish you deal with. It's so funny that right. tuna has is so in vogue, is so in fashionable, is like the premier fish. Anybody always asks, "How's the tuna, dude?" It's twenty eight dollars a pound. Like, <laughs> there's yeah. no money to be made. Then you get it. it. Then you go, you go pick it up, and you, you know, you don't know until you cut into it. So we look at it. We're like, oh, it looks pretty good. And then you put it up. You know, take you know, we were buying hundred pound tunas, throwing up on the thing, and then sometimes you cut into them. You're like, oh my god, this is 
you know, everyone's stoked. We're, you know, doing the happy dance. Sometimes you open one up, you're like, oh, man, this one sucks. Like, yeah, we like, can't even, you know, plenty of times. What sucks about it when you slice it open? Oh, go, go ahead, Colin. Yeah, go ahead. There's, Colin, Colin will take this one. Tuna is probably one of the most parasitic fishes that we deal with by and by. There's several different types of parasites that affect the tunas, but the Sachi parasite is probably the number one. And once the fish is caught and goes into rigor mortis, inside the Sachi parasite, it's like a, almost like a big white ball that exists inside the flesh. When the fish goes into rigor mortis, this ball pops and it looks like it had been burned with like literally like acid. It's like this gooey abscess that's been inside the fish now. You want to make sure you cut that out and do not serve it to people. I can't imagine how many parasites people probably eat from tuna on a daily basis. It's inconceivable. Not to mention segueing into like the conversation of like industrialized pokey. You know, your pokey bowls that are like $12.95, $15. This is kind of like the version of like fish hot dog in a weird way. These giant tunas are broken down. They're, they're put into macerated blenders. It's repressed into like a chicken McNugget paste, and then it's repackaged and frozen. So like you're literally – it's like the equivalent of a chicken McNugget or a hot dog put back in the fish. The economics of pokey don't work at all, so it's really weird. Fresh tuna, $27 a pound right now market price. Your tuna pokey, which is almost about a quarter to half a pound of fish, is a frozen pressed product pressed with carbon monoxide and dyed. So you're eating chemicals, you're eating carbon monoxide poisoning, but for $15, you can have that with rice and two sides. Forget it. Like tuna's crazy, crazy. So like Cody's saying, we would buy tuna and we might have like a 30% loss with a tuna cutting it open and going, dude, look at all these sachi parasites. The water was warm. This was a sick fish. It's almost like a, a thing of numbers. You know, you take 10 fish and three or four of those fish will be sachi ridden. They'll have parasites in them. There's also yeah. tuna worms. I mean, like our XGM, uh, I would love to grow some out because guys like, look, look at this. And I'd be pulling out like a tuna worm and be like, but this, I mean, that's the thing. Tuna is so popular. People don't understand or know this. And it's really interesting to understand the history of why we eat tuna. Now it has a lot to do with world war two and post world war two Japan. We had all these American servicemen stationed in Japan post-World War II, and they were starting to eat the normal foods of Japan like sushi, but they didn't really care for the really fishy fishes and stuff like that. So an enterprising Japanese guy was like, well, you know, tuna tastes like a, a raw steak kind of, and it does have this like really rare steak kind of flavoring to it. And I, you know, they started serving it more and more to American servicemen, and that's where it kind of became in fashion. And now, obviously, tuna is like the premier fish of all fish. If you look at, you know, menus pre-World War II for Japan, this tuna wasn't as important as it is today. Now, it's the number one fish, I mean, around the world. Bluefin tuna of certain sizes go for millions of dollars. It's high fatty. It's just delicately beautiful, but it's got some issues. And it's really expensive. They're literally pulling out dinosaurs for the world's consumption. And tuna's on every menu around the world. You're not dealing with small fishes that are easier to raise or easier to produce. And that's probably closer to the future. What Cody and I are trying to embrace is like, let's deal with striped bass. Let's deal with compaches. Let's go with smaller fish. They're easier to raise. They're easier to handle. It's less to ship. I mean, shipping a 250 pound tuna, it takes a lot of effort. You have to have forklifts and it's crazy process. And not only getting those things on the table and breaking them down, it's intense. Yeah. And I think people are slowly, maybe on the East and West Coast, people that are coastal, I think they consciously know, gosh, I probably need to start trying other types of fish. There's more out there. Absolutely. So what should we be looking for on a menu or what should we look online to purchase to get us out of eating salmon, tuna, halibut, and maybe well, for some I, other fish. So, I mean, unfortunately for tuna health-wise, it's got a lot of mercury in it. Fish that grow that big have eaten a lot of fish to get to that size, and they're heavily laden with mercury. Mercury is very bad for you to have. So for me, halibut's actually a really good, clean choice. Unfortunately, there's good halibuts and bad halibuts. I love wild halibut. It's a really clean, easy, flaky fish. The problem with halibut taste-wise, though, because it's a bottom feeder, is it's going to taste like mud or sand in a weird way. It's got a really, like, distinct flavor to it. 
I always say stay away from tilapia because commercial tilapia farms are just absolutely abhorrent. You know what I mean? They, they're raised under the worst possible circumstances. They're fed the, the worst kind of things. Look for striped bass. It's an emerging product right now. There's only, I think it's only just one company right now that's kind of putting them out. But like I said, we were talking earlier about the Cheesecake Factory was um, looking at trying to get them for an entree. Oh, oh yeah. Because it's the new part of it. Branzinos are also a, a good option. They're raised in the Mediterranean. Um, there's a really good farm that does Branzinos really well. Yeah, some of them are. I'm just saying she's asking for different options for like non-salmon, non-tuna fishes. Um, yeah. We were always saying the striped bass because it's closer to home for us. The Branzinos have to come from the Mediterranean. So you also look at carbon footprint. And that's the tough part about salmon is New Zealand to here. That's a long ways. Norway, there's only certain places that these come from. So we want to limit the carbon footprint as much as possible. Uh, Kampachi is one of our favorite fish. That's like a, a yellow tilt and amberjack. Um, very like dense, firm, beautiful, high fat content, um, incredible fish. There's a handful of farms that are doing Kampachi really well as well. Our favorite is Omega Azul. That's located in La Paz. Cody and I are actually flying down on Monday or Tuesday and making food for uh, a bunch of Japanese reps that are coming in. Um, and it's kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's two white boy sushi. Strike making, mission. Uh, yeah, making sushi for a bunch of Japanese guys is, is pretty cool. Cod fishes are also really good. I also oh love those. God. But, you know, and, and that can be prepared in a lot of different ways. Um, it, regionally, too, fish tastes differ. You know, if you're in the South, you're big on catfish and stuff like stuff that comes out of the Gulf and stuff like that. I, snappers are always a beautiful, beautiful choice. I was going to well. ask. I tend to buy whole red snappers and to do the salt crust with them. And they turn out great every time. It's insane. Everybody loves the flavor. It's insane. Alfonsinos are just amazing. Everything snapper is kind of the premier fish. But sourcing-wise for those can be a little complicated as well. And a lot of the times you might have Japanese distributors. They don't uh, influence on sustainability, but their quality is always going to be really good. I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini Mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high-vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. So one time I went to Cuba. I was in Cuba for a week and there aren't many protein options. Not much not much option on the menu any place you eat in Cuba. Um, but there was always red snapper on the menu. Hard. But every time I got served red snapper, it was a different color. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Every time I got served red snapper... It was a different color, different texture. God knows what they were serving me. It, it, sometimes too, like in Mexico, they, they have a snapper version, but they call it huachinango. And it's got like, it's black to red kind of scales. Genetically, a lot of the snappers vary a little bit, but like okay. those small white fish like that are just such a beautiful option. I love local rockfish around here too. They are okay. just amazing. On the menu, or that's sold a lot at Whole Foods in oh, Southern dude, California. That is such a great sustainable option. Sculpin, okay. also a great sustainable option. Just be careful if you're doing sculpin in any way, shape, or form that that back fin um, is either been clipped off or you wear gloves and then clip it off very carefully. It's poisonous. And um, what fish did I stab myself with last year? Two years ago. <laughs> I ended up hitting my ring finger on, um, they were snappers. I just can't remember where they came from. Um, and it hit me right here in my finger. And that same day, that was, I was prepping for the restaurant and then had to fly to Tahoe for a wedding we were doing. And I got on the plane and my hand was killing me. And all of a sudden, I don't know if it's the pressure of the plane, but my ring finger blew up like the size of a grape. And oh my God. The next morning, um, I had to go to the hospital and they had to do surgery on my finger and, and 
drain the poison out. The doctor was like, dude, another 12 hours, we would have cut your finger off. And I was like, okay, highly poisonous, uh, you know, dorsal things up there. So be really careful. Interesting. I had no idea that oh, if yeah. you get by the fins of certain fish, it's actually poisonous. And more importantly, let's just say this one had really bad bacteria on it and it went straight into my skin as well. Um, and I've stabbed myself a bunch of times and never had an issue like that. But this one, I'll never treat it the same way again. Um, so that's just, that's just one of those things. Like I said, um, sheep's head is also another really good fish that's local around here that you can find here or there. Um, I love a good sheep's head. That's, that's, that's a beautiful... It's, it's got an ugly face to it. Um, bonitos are great. Mahi-mahis are also an amazing fish. I want to do mahi-mahi raw, but I, it, it, you know, it's great um, cooked. There's so many different ways. And mahi-mahi is another one of those fish that, like, if you can process it correctly and keep it dry, it'll turn into something beautiful. We have amazing local yellowtail here as well that's really popular that you can find a lot Um and that's a really accessible fish when they're wanting to bite and stuff like that. Corbina are, are fish you can catch off just in, off the coast here, you know, like shore oh, yeah. fishing and stuff like that. And those are great little eaters. So for those that want to eat sushi, they want to eat raw fish. <laughs> what should they be looking for? What should they be ordering on the menu instead of the salmon and tuna? <sighs> that's a larger question too, of also talking about where you're going to eat your sushi. Now, I don't really believe sushi should be a cheap food. Eating all you can eat, like cheap foods, and that just doesn't work, like especially with sushi. You got to have these skilled technicians that know what they're doing and know how to process it correctly. So if you're going for an all you can eat experience or something that's really cheap, you're gonna be eating chemicals, you're gonna be eating frozen fish, and you're gonna be kind of going into that industrial side of the fish world. And we're like ventimately against that. We're against trawling fleets. We're against these like giant corporations just robbing the oceans of its bounty, processing the food, whether you realize it or not, injecting it with chemicals and carbon monoxide, and then feeding it to you. That's the last thing you want to do. Sushi needs to be simple, beautiful, and, and, and very delicious. So price point has a lot to do with it, I would say. It, make sure that you're actually paying for something that's really good. The premier OG sushi fish were snappers, Thai snappers. And that's been around as a staple forever. So I always stress snapper is one of the go-tos. Kompachi, absolutely 100% on any sushi menu, go for the kompachi. Most likely it's never been frozen. Hopefully it's come from one of these really good farms around the world. There's a couple farms actually, I know which one he's gonna say, we're not gonna name it out loud though. But kompachi is, is, a, is a good go-to. Um, striped bass if you can find it on the menu is amazing if you go to like a really good omakase menu um those guys all have japanese distributors so there's two different philosophies you've got japanese distribution and you've got the non-japanese distribution non-japanese distribution like what we're doing is really really hard to find we're yeah. working directly with the farms we're getting that shipped into la and we're picking it up and then processing it so a lot of the Japanese industries are using Japanese distributors that are flying it over from Japan. It's been, you know, at their farms or raised the way they want it to do it. And it can be a mixed bag sometimes, but it's a beautiful experience. So I always like the white fishes. Albacore is also a really good one, but we were doing fresh albacore. And what you see most of the time is frozen albacore. Frozen albacore is like a almost like a flesh color, like the color of your skin. It's got a, it'll probably be seared on the outside, but it's got like a gray, light pinkish color to it. The albacore that we were carrying is like really, really pink. It's rose colored and it's like a beautiful product. So albacore is a good choice as well. Um, what else? Oh, we were carrying, um, there was a really great octopus product that we were carrying that just became into fashion. That was, have these really sustainable traps. It was coming out of Australia. That was a really cool one. Um, What's a sustainable trap for octopus? Because usually we always see videos of how they catch octopus in the Mediterranean, which is with the clay pots and they go in and they take it out. What are the other methods for catching octopus? They, they, said, they said in the trap, the young ones can't push the button and the old ones are too big to fit in. So the right size one can get in and pushes the lever and it captures them. And then divers go down and bring them up. It's a brand new thing that's just starting to happen. And it's really, really cool. 
we were also using a, a vermilion snapper. The wild vermilions were amazing that we were doing too. We were just we were just approaching the sushi a little bit different, you know, away from Japanese distributors, which is really interesting because we had some of the biggest Japanese distributors in the world, companies-wise, come in and be like, hey, here's our brochure. Like, who are you guys buying from? And we're like, uh, we're doing it ourselves. And they're like, okay, what are you paying for this? And we were giving them the prices and they were like, what? 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 And they just, yeah, the reps were just, they would just grab their stuff and walk out. Like, it's impossible. I mean, so it, when you're going to sushi, I would say go to some place that's reputable. Go to some place that actually has a, a really good price point that's not cheap because you're going to be eating frozen food and, and chemically pressed food and that's dyed. And just don't do that. Don't do that. Sushi should not be cheap. You need an expert that knows what they're doing. They got to make sure they're not giving you sachi parasites. So make sure you're not eating these disgusting, like, you know, processed products. That None of that is ever good. And that leads to fish trauma, which we're trying to not have. <laughs> if they're going to go to a restaurant and they're going to pay, you know, a quality price for their product, I think they like to, I mean, I know I like to learn along the way. That's why I go out to eat is because I want to learn something new and I want to try something new. And when you can get the story behind why it's on the plate, um, it usually actually makes the meal a lot more delicious. And the carbon footprint's also less too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. Here's a really interesting story. When I was doing North American Seafood Expo in Boston last year, I met a lady who's developing QR codes for wild fish, especially tuna. She was telling me a story about a tuna that was caught off of New Bedford, Massachusetts. Huge tuna. I think it was like 700 pounds. Going to hit the market, going to be huge. Sold to a company in New York. Traveled to New York. Rebought. Sold. Traveled to Las Vegas. From there, it went to LA. From LA, it went to Japan. Sold again and ended up back over in New York at a restaurant a month later. So here's a fish that's traveling all over, it's been dead for 30 days, traveling all over the world, okay? Like doing its thing and then ends up, you know, 20, 30 miles from when it was originally caught. Like stupid, 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 stupid. How much fuel it took to take a 700 pound fish on a voyage sightseeing trip all over the world. That's not sustainable. That will never work in any way, shape or form. And like that kind of stuff has to stop. So what yep. we're trying to do is close that loop just a little bit and start introducing that. What you're talking about too, Whitney, I mean, that's almost not even in fashion yet for the majority of the population. I, what would you just say? 10, 15% of people actually want to know where their food's coming from or how it was raised. I'm sure people care deep down inside, but. Oh, I hope I don't get a QR code menu at your restaurant. <laughs> The, the best thing too is like trying to get away from the word sustainability and start using the word transparency because if you're transparent about what you're doing you have nothing to hide and that's one of the great mysteries of sushi is it's always been a mystery you can't really ask too many questions the guy maybe not like speak english he's going to look at you funny if you ask too many questions and just like shut up and eat this kind of stuff like for us, it was the opposite. I want to tell you every single thing we are doing because I want to empower you with information. Empowering the customer with information provides transparency and voting with your dollars matters. And by us being so upfront and open about it created a really beautiful culture in the restaurant and people absolutely loved it. And that's what we will always be doing is being transparent and traceable about what we're trying to do and achieve. And that's the future of food, even if it's fish or beef or vegetables or whatever it's going to be, that's the most important thing going forward when we feed ourselves. And as chefs, we don't want to be misrepresenting ourselves or, you know, to be blunt, just to be full of shit. I hate that. Like, let's be honest about what's going on. Well, and I would think that people working in the restaurant would want to be able to eat the food that they're preparing. And if they aren't preparing honest food that they're comfortable consuming, you know, and then serving it to others, it just doesn't make sense. Whitney that, Whitney, that has been my like mantra from day one. I don't even like call myself a chef, but that is my mantra. Like you need to be stoked about eating this. This needs to represent yourself. Like if you think this is delicious and it looks amazing, I'm sure the customer on the other side is going to feel the same way about it. You know what I mean? That is it. Is this tasty? Is this beautiful? Then be confident in it. it food should be simple enough. Unless you want to be doing like super high-end Michelin stuff where it becomes scientific 
Yeah. But like in the essence, food is just food. That's what makes it so interesting is it can just be simply put out there. There's nothing better than going to Mexico and having a fish just grilled with some oil, salt and pepper and you eat it and you're like, God, why is this so good? It's because it's just yeah, fresh every and simple. Time. Like right? that's all it can be. You know, people are always asking for all these great cooked fish recipes. And I'm like, <laughs> do it like they do in Mexico. <laughs> do it like they do in Mexico. Get really good product. Keep it simple. And you're going to win every time. So are there any tools that the home cook should have to make fish at home? So is there something that they should be using on the grill or you know, a special tweezer to pull out some fish bones that they need to. Is there anything like that that you guys have in your own kitchens at home that you recommend? I mean, just to start off, if you want like the game changing pair of tweezers, there's a spring loaded uh, handheld tweezers. I'll show them to you right now. They're not even that expensive. They're only like 50 bucks. Those things save your hand and you can get so delicate in pulling out pin bones. It's crazy. I'll go get them right now and show you. That's one, one tip. Perfect. Amazon, no, no joke. These are spring-loaded tweezers. Like and Cody's okay. saying, and you know, traditionally too, like to butcher fish, you don't need a bunch of really expensive knives. I mean, we've worked with some Mexican guys that were able to just do the most incredible things with, you know, ordinary knives. A good fillet knife is important. A good chef's knife can do all of that stuff. You want to get really technical. A deba is an amazing purchase, you know, and you can always go wrong, but they can be kind of expensive. Um, I like a good scimitar knife. I learned a lot about cutting fish from um, Mexican fish butchers and um, they use a scimitar knife. You want it to be really sharp, you know, a good honer is good and um, a good uh, cut resistant glove to protect your your free hand. I, Cody, I was, I was telling her the story when I stabbed myself with a snapper spine and almost lost my finger. And I, 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 I cut myself more than I care to admit to, um, especially when we're breaking down fish and scaling fish. Um, good sharp knife. Yeah. And, and you know, a, a fish scaler, if you're using a whole fish yeah. and stuff like that's really important. Those are really cheap things to, to get. Um, and I, I'm going to give it out. I, mean, I can't believe I'm giving away the secret on a podcast, but um, Viva paper towels. It's my fucking secret. Listen, the more Viva gets sold, Okay, Viva paper towels are like my trade secret. It's a, it's a non-print paper towel. Um, yeah. They're really absorbent. And, um, are they the super soft ones? Yeah, they're, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. literally, so this is the prep kitchen right now. I think that's the paper towel that one of my clients has. And it feels like a luxury towel every time I use it. But uh, the, yeah, and the, the reason um, we started using it too, because there's a thing called tuna paper that's hyper-absorbent, absorbs uh, the fish. It's really expensive though. And um, I just like, dude, we go through these things so much. Like I can't be spending money on this stuff. So like one day, you know, we found the Viva and I'm like, oh my God, this stuff is in COVID. The only thing I did hoard was Viva. And that was a challenge. I was getting in fist fights over Viva. I was scouring the town like, Come home with my Viva. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's Viva. So, those things, like I said, sharp knife, a scaler, uh, bone tweezers, and a great non print paper towel. The reason you want, like, the Viva, there's no print on them. Uh, with a printed paper towel, it'll leave those indentations on top of your protein. Oh, wow. So, all I've seen chemicals, and there's no color in them. Yeah, yes. It's like making a cookbook and you're giving away your secrets. It's like anybody can buy Viva, man. And like, it's my favorite uh, drying power to use with fish products. Well, how many times have you taken the recipe that you got from a chef at a restaurant who said, this is the recipe that we use at the restaurant and you make it at home and it doesn't taste anything like the version at the restaurant because they left, they left an ingredient out. So Exactly. I appreciate you guys sharing the things that really work. And I feel like the the tools that you guys have, your ability to know how to buy fish, to break fish down from scratch, like those are basic life skills. You know, being able to cook for yourself is a basic life skill that will carry you anywhere and and anywhere you want. Um, If someone wants to learn how to work with fish well and be really comfortable with getting a whole fish and breaking it down, where do you guys recommend people go and learn? Who can I know. This, I yeah. know. It sounds ridiculous. YouTube. <laughs> 
and also and Insta- and Instagram too. There, I I follow some really good fish butchers on Instagram too, and like you can pick up a lot of really good tricks. One of my favorite hobbies to do, like, is to go onto YouTube and deep dive on Japanese sushi chefs and stuff. There's all these Japanese bloggers out there. They're going to all these incredible high end meals that I will never have time to go eat, and we're watching these guys their process and cutting the fish and then and Cody and I are like whoa that was cool like look what he did with that like damn we've not done that he must have learned that from his master and that's some weird trade secret that oh dude and that's the biggest thing we're always learning my god be humble all the time there's a lot of bad things you can learn on YouTube too about butchering fish but you can kind of pick and choose just to back up what Cody's saying is different styles to it there's like a dozen different ways to cut a whole tuna and like the way mexican guys would do it compared to the japanese guys would do it mexican guys would do it just a fillet knife one guy heck off the quarter sides the japanese guys will have three people with long swords pretty much and they'll be hacking off the sides like this and then in taiwan they have like a really round half moon knife that we watch these guys will cut these 700 pound fish on the floor with this half moon knife and they're doing cuts where they're going into stuff and we're like whoa and then breaking off and it's perfect. And you go, whoa, there's a bunch of different ways. YouTube is, a, is, is probably one of the best sources for information out there that you can constantly look at. Our Instagram too has a lot of really cool stuff where we were filming myself or Cody breaking down fish and stuff like that. We should probably do a lot more of instructional videos like that on how to break down fish. But I don't feel like me and him are that social media like all the time. We need to be... Ah, it's difficult. It's difficult. You have to have a film crew. If you're, if you're really a chef, you have to have a film crew doing it yeah. for you. If you yeah. guys are focused on the food. Your hands are covered in blood and scales. The last thing I'm going to do. Like... You're not an octopus. There isn't an extra hand. <laughs> Is there anyone you recommend if people are jumping on YouTube or Instagram right now to look at? There's yeah. one of my favorite guys. I can never pronounce his name because he's a Brazilian guy that works for, um, I think it's Wolf's, Cody. His name is like, yeah, on the East Coast. Yeah, I think I think it's Wolf's he works for. Uh, his name is like Pavaria Baccarat. <laughs> I butchered his name. But he doesn't even he doesn't even post stuff anymore. But like when he first started doing it, I have never seen somebody cut tuna and fit like – fishmonger butchering though is completely different than what Cody and I do. Like sushi wise, like we're really delicate. We're, we're a little bit slower. These guys do a forehand cut with a two. I mean, like it's not for your normal consumer. The stuff, this guy was an artist. I, like I said, he doesn't really post much stuff for it. Like I said, just go into YouTube. You'll find, there's a lot of like really good ones that like, especially the, the, like the opening top ones. Um, there's another kid I follow. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Um, who's a Florida kid who's got fishmongering style too. He's really good and clean. But it's funny because we don't butcher like fishmongers do. But I'll still watch these guys and be like, "Damn, I just can't. I can't do the forehand cut like they do." You know, like. So where can people go to follow you guys? And where can they go to your restaurants? How they can, how can they eat your food? What other events do you guys have going on? So the biggest way to keep connected with what we're doing is follow our Instagram, which is fish.food. That's F-I-I-S-H dot food. Um, and then we both have personal Instagrams. My, my name, Colin Whitbread. Um, Cody's is Chef Cody Riquejo. Um, and we're doing pop-up series all the time right now. The story of our first restaurant is probably going to be its own mini-series someday. Um, but we're looking at doing some other spaces right now. We're looking at a project in Newport right now. That's going to be um, one restaurant and then like an art museum and then probably like a really cool chef's table experience that when we do launch, Whitney, you're going to have to do uh, a chef's night table up there for us. We would love to have you. Um, we're looking at a space in Oceanside right now in the harbor that we really want to do. Um, and there's talk about trying to get a space in Venice somewhere um, cool. to do. And that's where we kind of want to end up right now is in Venice. That's kind of like our clientele. And right now, too, we have so many private parties that we do. We're also available for private caterings, just like you are. That's our, like, bread and butter. Uh, We do a lot of celebrity stuff, a lot of celebrity athlete stuff, a lot of normal people stuff, and then just all over sorts of events. Well, you know what I mean? I mean, we can't say we're exclusive just for that clientele. We do parties for all sorts of people. And then we're doing a lot of pop-ups right now, which is really cool, and that's approachable for everybody. Breweries and wineries. Um... 
we're doing June Shine in Venice, I think, like in two weeks. We're also doing a brewery down here in Oceanside called Hangar 76. Um, that's also kind of part of the Caruth Wine Cellar. Um, so if you want to stay focused and, and, and around, just look at our Instagram story stuff. We're always throwing out the leads of what we're doing. And um, like I said, when we get this next brick and mortar up, no matter where it's going to be, Oceanside or Newport, let's go. The line forms to the left. And we're yes, doing the College Center on, on, the, on the 27th. So I'm really excited yeah. about that because that is like probably the coolest community-based food thing you can do. Like incredible product great people just everything at your fingertips the freshest food and the three of us just knocked it out of the park the last time so and not to mention december's coming up that's always our busiest time of year for private parties my god we always book so many holiday parties it's crazy so i have to ask you just real quick i know we need to wrap up but i'd love to know what's the most absurd party that you guys had to cater sushi for like how much sushi was it what else was going on food wise at the party like how obscene was it? I'd love to know. Dude, that is such a loaded question. I mean, like, let me just tell you one story of COVID. These kids were partying their asses off. They paid a fortune for the sushi. They weren't even eating because they were partying so hard. We put out we put out an entire 20-foot table's worth of food, hundreds of rolls, hundreds of nigiris that the kids weren't even eating. They were standing on top of it, and they were – doing TikTok videos with it and like throwing it in the air. It was like the flex of flex. Eventually the cops came because there was like 400 people at this party. And it was like, you know, the COVID days of no one's supposed to be around. And we literally picked up the sushi cases and walked past the LAPD and like threw them in the vans and got out of there. That is one just off the top of my mind that I can remember that was of excess and ridiculousness. Um, good ones. Uh, we do Peter Thiel's Christmas party, which is really cool. Um, he's really interesting client to have. And there's always like rocket scientists and Cody sitting there talking to uh, all sorts of famous, like really smart people that like, yeah, that's a really interesting party. Cause you're like around brilliant people. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of real, real estate yeah, stuff like that too. You know, I'm not, I mean, there's a lot of NDA stuff too. I'm trying to think of stuff I can't say. I mean, a lot of our like really big celebrity people are, are really fun people and um, we really appreciate their business. I'm trying to think of something like really ridiculous and excess and yeah. nothing else is coming. That, that COVID one though, like stands out in my memory of like, Oh my God, it was, it was insane. It was beyond insanity. And, this, and the loadout was so hard. Start writing down the sushi diaries. So I that know. can no, be trust me. LA is a really interesting place. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, I, and I can also remember other ones too. There's like, you know, people throwing fire and then like naked mermaids in these pools and stuff like that. And then there's like these tray passing stuff and the sushi station's up and it's running. And I mean, like, we were fortunate enough to pick a cuisine that's able to kind of go into these places and, 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 uh, fit in with this kind of stuff. It's probably only in LA that it can work as well as it has to be at like, a hundred million dollar home and everyone's eating and it's normal you know it's really weird i'm thankful for that that we i chose this i guess or it chose me maybe well can you leave our listener with maybe one healthy tip that they can consider adding into their life <laughs> breathe real deep breathe in oxygen to relax yourself drink lots of water and stretch <laughs> A good, a good pair of shoes too. A good pair of shoes is really important. And I like to change my footwear sometimes during service and stuff like that. And Cody and I too, we surf. And that's that's like the cathartic release for us too. That when we work a bunch and we can go out and get in the ocean and get wet and, and go surf and stuff like that, that does so much for my psyche. It's incredible. If you have some other kind of hobby, whether it's running, Dan Barber, you know, he's a big, he always goes for a run in the yeah. morning. You've got some kind of physical thing you can do that can connect you with nature or just let your brain shut off a little bit. I think that's kind of one of its keys to, to success. Um, I'm a big I'm a big guy for big breath work. Like on the line, tickets are coming up and stuff, and I'm like full breaths, and I'm taking it step by step. And people are like, "Why are you frustrated?" I'm like, "I'm not frustrated. I'm just I'm breathing right now. Let me." Let me do my breath work. <laughs> and, that, and if I don't do yoga too, it's the same thing. If I don't do yoga, 
I get really grouchy. My body just shuts down. Um, you got to keep the machine running. And as we know, like being chefs, like you end up not eating and you're on your feet and you're just one task to the next, one task to the next, and you're making food and you're not eating. It's the weirdest thing you can do to yourself is like feeding all these people, nourishing all these people and just starving yourself and working yourself into the ground. We're sadists, I think, masochists. But I mean, it's a really beautiful thing to feed people. There's a connection with it that's indescribable, that's um, really unique. And I think that's why a lot of people stay with it. There's a connection you get with people by feeding people. It's the most human thing you can do is to feed someone. There is nothing more human, in my opinion. No other job out there has that kind of personal touch than like feeding a person and enjoying that experience. And that's what I, that's why I keep doing this. I think that's why you keep doing it too, Whitney, you know? It's just yeah. so rewarding when you watch someone eat a meal and feel good afterwards. You it's just incredible. want it for another person, another person, another person. Yeah. yeah. Well, ending this with energy is, is the perfect way to wrap it up. So thank you guys so you. much for sharing your knowledge. We'll see and, you on the 27th. Uh, fantastic and i'll see you guys in a few weeks i can't wait to support you thank you for listening to this episode of the high vibration living podcast please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are tuning in from to help more listeners like and find this podcast and if you really loved what you heard today pay it forward and send this episode to a friend or loved one for more Starseed Kitchen, visit starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. You can find me and follow along on my chef adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers to you and your health. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.